0: Hello and welcome to the reading of The Courier for Thursday, January 12th. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Well, let's uh, take a look at what's going on here today. Our front page headline says, Don't Say Gay Bill Introduced. Legislation intended to empower parents, say Speaker of Iowa House in Des Moines. Iowa House Republicans introduced a bill Wednesday similar to Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay bill. The measure, House File 8, says that public school teachers may not instruct on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. It also requires school boards provide age-appropriate and research-based instruction in human growth and development. Supporters of the legislation say it's meant to allow parents to determine when and in what way to introduce LGBTQ topics to young children. A separate bill, House File 9, also introduced Wednesday, would prohibit schools from affirming or recognizing a student's preferred gender identity in school without written consent from their parents. Republicans said that the bill keeps parents informed and ensures that school employees can't hide information about a student's requested gender transition or identity from the child's parents. The bill also states school employees cannot facilitate, encourage, or coerce or coerce students into withholding information from their parents. and it bars schools officials from encouraging students to undergo gender affirming care or to pressure or coerce, coerce their parent or guardian to allow a child to undergo any medical procedure, treatment, or intervention that is designed to affirm the student's gender identity if that gender identity is different than the sex listed on the student's official birth certificate. We need to empower parents. Republican House Speaker Pat Grassley, who co-sponsored the bills, told the Courier of Des Moines uh, Bureau, In our opinion, that's what the goal of these bills are, making sure that conversations are happening with children and their parents instead of happening in the school system. We feel confident standing in that position. Opponents say that the measure undermines LGBTQ support in schools and that parental notification requirements could effectively require teachers to out LGBTQ students grappling with their personal identity to potentially unsupportive or abusive family members before a student is ready. The bill does not mention or require consulting with school counselors or considering the student's home situation. Our caucus is going to always take the position that government isn't necessarily the solution and the answer for a situation like this, Grassley said on Wednesday, while recording this weekend's episode of Iowa Press on Iowa PBS and cannot look to the school system to be the one that is providing these types of supports. These have to happen through whatever level of family supports that these people are going to have. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis last year signed into law a similar measure, which became known as the Don't Say Gay Bill which face instant criticism and disapproval, including from Disney, a major political donor and one of Florida's largest employers. Iowa critics critics said that the bill transforms classrooms into unsafe spaces for LGBTQ plus students where they must hide their sexuality. The Trevor Project, an LGBTQ plus youth suicide and crisis prevention organization, said that such measures... Add to existing stigma and discrimination of LGBTQ youth who already face higher health and suicide risks than their uh, than their cisgender or straight peers. When given access to spaces that affirm their gender identity, they report fewer suicide attempts, according to the Trevor Project. It only took the Iowa legislature three days to release an unrelenting attack on LGBTQ youth, said Becky Taylor, Executive Director for Iowa Safe Schools. House File number 9 will put LGBTQ youth directly in harm's way and create a legal and administrative nightmare for school administrators. HF8 is ultimately a form of big government censorship intended to create a hostile school climate for LGBTQ students. LGBTQ residents, businesses, and tourism leaders have expressed concerns about the effects posed by an increasing volume of legislation that makes LGBTQ people feel unsafe or unwelcome in the state of Iowa. Okay, what else is going here on the front page? Uh, Outage impacts Waterloo Airport in Waterloo. National system issues likely cause delayed canceled flights locally. Two flights were delayed, while two were canceled Wednesday at the Waterloo Regional Airport, Director Keith Kasperi said, most likely due to an outage involving a computer system known as the Notice to Air Mission Systems, or NOTAM, N-O-T-A-M. The issue affected air travel across the, the nation. One flight coming into Waterloo from Chicago was scheduled to arrive with three passengers at 10.08 a.m., and then leave with another 34 passengers to Chicago at 10.55 a.m. Instead, it came in at about 12.15 p.m. and departed soon after with the second group of travelers. Among them possibly was the University of Northern Iowa dance team with the final destination of Orlando, said airport officials. Envoy Air, a subsidiary of American Airlines Group, was the carrier. An afternoon flight scheduled from Chicago to Waterloo was canceled and vice versa, with 28 passengers between the two flights. The airport provides twice-daily service to Chicago, with departure and arrival times varying throughout the year. The Federal Aviation Administration lifted an order to ground all flights across the U.S. shortly before 8 a.m. after the system broke down late on Tuesday. Before commencing a flight, pilots are required to consult NOTAM, which lists potential adverse impacts on flights from runaway construction, from runway, I should say, runway construction to the potential for icing. We're no different than any other airport, said Kasperi. It's unfortunate. It happened after the snaffle around the Christmas holiday. I'm very confident that the FAA will get everything back to normal. Such instances sometimes lead to a snowball effect, he adds. He was hopeful everything would be back on track beginning Thursday and confident that those impacted would be accommodated appropriately. It may have been the first time that the FAA grounded all U.S. flights since the tragedy on September eleventh, two 2001, said Kasperi. Today was an adventure, said Sarah Almonte of Marion, Indiana. After arriving in Waterloo, I haven't flown in 14 years, and what a day it was to fly. She flew into Waterloo to visit her boyfriend, who was working in the area. She was followed by Linda Jeske of Summer. Both faced additional challenges associated with flying, but Jeske and the experiences wasn't all that bad. She spent more time with her family as a result and engaged with helpful and courteous staff along the way. All right, let's see here. What we got? We got ethanol production sets new record. Group says that Iowa made 4.5 billion gallons last year. Ethanol plants in Iowa produced an estimated 4.5 billion gallons in 2022, a new record for the state, according to the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. The association's estimate is based on survey data, public reports, and other information. It surpasses the state's 2021 estimate estimate, uh, production record of 4.4 billion gallons. Iowa continues to set the pace for ethanol production around the world, said Monty Shaw, executive director of the association. The attractive price of E15 and E85 drove sales during the 2022 gas price spike, barring a recession we expect ethanol demand to grow each year as Iowa and other states make progress to increasing access to E15, often marketed as unleaded 88. The new production record is roughly the current total production capacity of the state's 42 ethanol plants, according to association data. The industry is an important market for Iowa farmers. More than half of the state's corn is used to produce ethanol. State lawmakers last year adopted legislation that would require the sale of blended fuels that are 15% ethanol at gas stations. E10, a blended fuel with 10% ethanol, has long been the standard blend. The new state law has exemptions for smaller gas stations and grant money to help update underground tanks and pumps to accommodate the higher ethanol blend. Federal legislation that would expand the summertime availability of of E-15 in many states has lacked sufficient support for years for adoption, but the country's largest trade association for the oil and natural gas industries indicated late last year it will definitely support the idea. Okay, also in Waterloo, auction may take home of legislature. Amos House has been foreclosed on by bank. Waterloo. A former Waterloo City Council member who recently joined the state legislature may lose his house. Jerome Amos Jr.'s house at 119 Ricker Street will be up for public auction on the 8th of February. Legal notice of the auction appeared in the classified section of Wednesday's Courier. Amos used to represent Waterloo's Ward 4 on the council after being elected to represent Iowa District 62 on November 8th. He joined the legislature this week. Court records from May 2022, State U.S. Bank was foreclosing on Amos' home without redemption. The notice in The Courier followed the filing of the judge's decree in the case November 1. Amos said that he working with attorneys to stop the sale so he can keep the house. He said he isn't the only person facing foreclosure. I'm not a rich man, and I'm just trying to make things work, he said, with a phone interview with the courier while in the House chambers. If it works out, it works out. He said he's lived in the House since 1992. Court documents show a mortgage was filed in 2006. As for being able to represent his district, Amos noted that the Iowa law says the candidates have to reside in their district at the time of the election. If he has to move, Amos said he will continue living in District 62. If Amos' legal plans don't work out, the property will be offered for sale for cash only. The judgment amount is $52,497. Okay, what else is going on here on the front page? Senator Grassley in recovery after surgery. Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley tweeted on Wednesday that surgery was successful in repairing a fracture in his hip and that he was on his way to a full recovery a day after his office announced the injury. His office did not explain how the 89-year-old senator injured his hip, the extent of the surgery, or when he will return to work. spokesman said his office would provide additional information as it becomes available. Grassley was elected in November and sworn into his eighth term in the Senate on January 3rd, becoming the longest-serving member of the U.S. Senate. He appeared Monday at the opening day of the 2023 session, of the Iowa legislature, where his grandson is Speaker of the Iowa House. When Grassley announced his run for re-election, he did so with a Twitter video highlighting his daily 4 a.m. to 2-mile run. Okay, now let's go to Washington. White House. Jill Biden has cancerous lesions removed. In Washington, surgeons removed a cancerous lesion above First Lady Jill Biden's right eye Wednesday as well as another cancerous lesion on her chest, the White House said, while a third lesion on her left eyelid was being examined. Dr. Kevin O'Connor, the presidential physician, said that examination showed that the lesion over Biden's left eye and one newly discovered on her chest were both confirmed to be basal cell carcinoma. The lesion on her right eye was fully excised with margins and was sent for standard microscopic examination. Biden and her husband, President Joe Biden, spent the day at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, while she underwent the scheduled outpatient procedure known as Mohs surgery to remove and examine the lesions. O'Connor said that the First Lady was experiencing some facial swelling and bruising, but in good spirits and is feeling well. She was expected to return to the White House Wednesday evening. Okay, what else is going on in Waterloo here? Women focus of King's Day service, 12 to be highlighted at Antioch event on Monday. Churches are coming together on Martin Luther King Jr. Day to celebrate the accomplishments of 12 Iowa women. The Reverend France Whitefield of Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church is hosting the event as part of the Northeast Iowa chapter of the National Action Network. Whitefield is chapter present for the network founded by Reverend Al Sharpton. A celebration and sermon will take place at Antioch Baptist Church at 426 Summer Street on Monday around, or I should say from 6 to 8 p.m. on Monday. And Whitfield said that the evening will highlight 12 women as Iowa trailblazers. None of the women are from Cedar Valley. They include Helen Seenster, Amanda Goodman, Cassandra Hart, Estella Jenkins, Christina Kaplumis. And, and Angela Marsh, uh, Marshall, Joy Briscoe, Nia Wilder, and Rashonda Young. Two women from Cedar Rapids, Amaro Andrews and Tamara Tomato and Victoria Henderson-Weber of Des Moines will also be awarded. Whitfield and Martin Luther King Jr. talked about equality for all people, not just white and black people. When we look at our country and things we're, we're going through, oftentimes the women of our country have been neglected and overlooked, he said. We want to tell women thank you for their contributions. Antioch's the Reverend Charles Daniel echoed Whitfield's statement. We have an opportunity to see the light of Martin Luther King through women who play a historical and critical role in the advancement of social justice, economic development, and education advancement, Daniel said. During the civil rights era, if it were not for the work of women, we might not have made the strides during the era. Women were critical. Amanda Goodman, one of the award recipients, said being a former TV news journalist kept her in a box. You can't be authentically yourself, so it feels great to be out and doing what's best for the community and fighting to keep children safe and fighting for women, Goodman goes on to say. She's the executive director for the family and children's council of Black Hawk County. It's an honor for me to even be considered alongside alongside these other women, she says. It's fantastic for little girls in our community to think, wow, I can be like that. I can be just like her. Also a part of the program is a sermon from Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams from Bridgehampton, New York, as well as Community Choir. The night also is a fundraiser for a scholarship in honor of Willie May Wright. Whitfield said that he's asking individuals to donate $25 each in order to fund these three $500 scholarships. There will be cash app available or a check option. Okay, what else is in Waterloo? Serious injuries not intended, man says. Defendant takes stand in casino beating trial. A Waterloo man charged in a severe beating at a local casino in 2021 said that he didn't mean to cause any serious injuries. That was not my intent at all. Damon Williams, Sr., age 46, told jurors during testimony on Wednesday, I wasn't trying to injure him in the way that I did. Williams, age 46, is charged. With willful injury causing serious injury. Surveillance video showed that Williams weighing in at four hundred and seventy pounds, raining down ten punches and five kicks on a helpless Montana, Montana Gunnis in about twenty-five seconds. Gunness of Evansdale was hospitalized for three days, suffered a broken jaw, and an orbital bone, and lost sight in his right eye it was all just frustration i took my frustrations out on him williams testified i was in the moment prosecutors allege williams attacked gunness after gunness found williams wife playing a player loyalty card in an isle casino hotel slot machine in the early morning hours of january third, 2021 gunness used about 100 dollars worth of the accumulated credits which can uh, be used to gamble and purchase prizes but can't be redeemed for cash before the card was reported missing and turned off remotely by casino staff. Staff used data from the machines where it had been used and video cameras to trace the missing card to Gunness. When security approached Gunness, Williams said he followed to ask him about using the card. I wanted to confront him. When I saw him, I just hit him instead, Williams said. Williams approached Gunness from behind as he talked with security. Gunness never saw it coming. I handed over the card, and then the lights went out, Gunnis said. The first punch knocked Gunnis to the ground, and Williams continued standing over and striking Gunnis, who was pinned on the floor next to a wall. One staff member attempted to intervene, grabbing his arm, but she was brushed aside. Williams told jurors he was frustrated because the casino wasn't going to reimburse him for the credits that were taken off the card. Wasn't nobody listening to me? I was just frustrated by the whole ordeal. Williams said, on cross examination, prosecutor Heather Jackson clarified that the attack was over $100 in player card cash and the principle of him taking something that didn't belong to him. Williams added, closing arguments in the trial were Wednesday afternoon. In a separate civil case, Gunness won a $1.7 million judgment against the casino during an October 2022 jury trial. And here's more news in the Waterloo area. Waterloo firefighters are beginning contract talks. The International Association of Firefighters, Local 66, proposed an 11% across-the-board salary increase Wednesday during an initial bargaining session with the City of Waterloo. Union representatives called for a four-year contract starting in July for the 99 employees who are covered. After the initial bump in wages, the union is proposing a 6% increase for the fiscal year starting July 26. The wage discussion would be reopened. Annual salaries for for those represented by the union currently range from $55,258 to $98,987, according to a city document, depending on the position, Hourly wages based on a 40-hour week are $26.57 for the first-year firefighters, $36.72 for the starting fire engineers, $37.26 for the first-year paramedics, and $39.68 for starting medical officer. Base hourly wages are $29.52 for a 24-hour lieutenant, $39.12 for a 40-hour lieutenant or fire inspector. Hourly wage range from $42.68 to $47.59 for the position of training officer, fire marshal, captain, and medical supervisor. The union also wants to adjust the rate of pay for probationary firefighters who are working as paramedics during the probationary paramedic period. The contract currently states that those firefighters performing paramedic duties are limited to out-of-rank payments of $2.50 an hour until they have completed the probationary paramedic process. The proposal is now asking for those firefighters to be paid at the first-year paramedic hourly rate, which is currently $37.26 an hour. Probationary firefighters must complete at least 20 shifts to be cleared to practice without direct supervision of the medical office. The union seeking to add June uh add Juneteenth or June 19th as a recognized holiday. Other items in the contract are language changes to items such as grievance procedures and sick leave. Here's a story that um, the, uh, the paper has been the courier has been following, uh, among other papers throughout the country: the mega jackpot. Uh, which you probably know about, Mega Millions jackpot is the second highest. Prize for Friday draw has grown again to an estimated $1.35 billion. In Des Moines, the Mega Millions prize has grown again to an estimated $1.35 billion after there was no winner of the lottery's latest giant jackpot. The numbers drawn late Tuesday night 7, 13, 14, 15, and 18, and gold mega ball 9. The new jackpot drawing on Friday night will be another milestone in the game. Mega Millions said in a statement early on Wednesday, Now at 1.35 billion, the Mega Millions jackpot is moving up and making history as the second highest Mega Millions jackpot ever. Pat McDonald, Ohio lottery director, and lead director of the Mega Millions Consortium, said in the statement, The only Mega Millions jackpot larger than Friday's price is the $1.53 billion won in South Carolina in 2018, Mega Millions said. The largest jackpot in the U.S. to date was $2.04 billion. Powerball won by a single ticket in California in November. The estimate... The estimated $1.35 billion jackpot in the next drawing would only be distributed to a winner who chooses an, an annuity paid over 29 years. Nearly all grand prize winners opt to take a cash payout, which for Friday's night uh, drawing is an estimated $707.9 million. There have been 25 drawings over three months since the last time a player matched all six numbers and claimed a jackpot. Despite the game's long odds, and those are 1 in 302.6 million, players continue to purchase tickets as the size of the grand prize grows. Mega Millions is played in 45 states, as well as in Washington, D.C. and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Isn't that something? That's quite a story. Okay, let's see what else is going on here. Testimony begins an apartment arson trial waterloo men allegedly lit a fire after eviction in waterloo days after timothy aaron williams was told he was being evicted a fire broke out in his west fourth street apartment prosecutors say that williams was the person who set the fire williams age 40 is charged with second degree arson testimony in his trial began wednesday with his landlord detailing how she had given him a notice to pay his late rent when the money didn't arrive she went to court obtained a hearing date that he didn't attend. On the 7th of October, date was set for him to be out. Around 12.30 p.m. that that day, firefighters were called to the apartment building at 828 West 4th Street for a report of smoke. Police said that they found other residents evacuating the building and a small blaze smoldering in the back outside wall under a window to Williams' apartment. Inside the apartment, they found Williams trying to wheel out a grocery cart filled with his belongings. He was detained when officers discovered a torch lighter. Officer Jamie Sullivan said that he interviewed Williams, who said he had used the lighter to burn around the window. He also said that he had tried to kill a scorpion by burning it. Fire damage was limited to the area where it started, and no injuries were reported. Court's Challenges Outline, Chief Justice Harold's Story of Redemption from Waterloo Lawyer in Des Moines. Water shortages are being felt all over the country and in most industries, and Iowa's judicial system is no exception. Shortages of court reporters and contract lawyers were among the issues highlighted on Wednesday by Iowa Supreme Court Chief Justice Susan Christensen in her annual condition of the Judiciary Address to Iowa lawmakers at the Iowa Capitol. Christensen, one of the six justices on the seven-member court appointed by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, has been on the state Supreme Court since 2018 and became chief justice in 2020. Christensen said that the shortage of court reporters has been growing for multiple years. She's, she said that the judicial branch has established a committee to look into the issue, and she hopes to have recommendations by next year's condition of the Judiciary Address. For the past few years, the judicial branch has become increasingly concerned about the growing imbalance between the number of court reporters retiring and the fewer number of people pursuing this incredible career, Christensen said in her remarks to legislators gathered in the Iowa House chamber. We know how the court reporter crisis affects every aspect of the judicial system, and we're committed to making it better, she says. I hope to come back next year with proposed solutions to this crisis from the newly formed court reporter uh, utilization committee made up of judges, court reporters, and judicial staff. So stay tuned. And more uh, news here in uh, Waterloo. Man gets prison for shooting at woman who attacked him. In Waterloo, a Waterloo man has been sentenced to prison for shooting at a woman who sprayed him with bear spray in 2021. Tyler Everett Williams, age 25, pleaded to one count of intimidation with a weapon, which is a felony, and on Friday was sentenced to up to 10 years in prison. A charge of reckless use of a firearm was dismissed. According to court records, Williams was exiting the family dollar store on Broadway Street on the 6th of June, 2021, when he was approached by Kenesha Corian Harrington in the parking lot. Harrington sprayed him in his vehicle with bear spray and then climbed into a van williams pulled out a handgun and fired twice at the van as it exited the lot one bu- bullet hit the van and a second struck the window of the nearby quickstar convenience store harrington pleaded to misdemeanor assault in the attack in 2021 and was fined 300 dollars plus costs and surcharges She was later arrested in August 2022 for allegedly making threats and spraying a woman with bear spray from her vehicle in the area of Dawson Street and Grandview Avenue. Trial for that case is tentatively set for later this month. Okay, I would like to remind you that you are listening to uh, the reading of The Courier for Thursday, the 12th of January. I am your reader, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network, for the blind and the disabled. And yes, we do have some obituary news, so why don't we get to that right now. Arlen Brickman, age 92, of Waverly, passed away on the 9th of January. A funeral service will be held at 10 a.m. Saturday, January 14th at the Bartels Lutheran Retirement Home Chapel in Waverly with visitation one hour before. A private burial will take place later that day at the St. Paul Cemetery in Redland in lieu of flowers. Please direct uh, memorials to St. Paul Lutheran Church Community Lutheran School in Redland or at St. Croix Hospice. The service will be live streamed on the Kaiser uh, Corson Funeral Home Facebook page and you can call them at 319-352-1187 for any other information you might need. Dr. Gloria Holmes, age 70, has passed. Visitation will be held at 4 to 6 p.m. on Friday, the 13th of January at Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church, which is located 805 Adam Street in Waterloo. The homecoming celebration will be 11 a.m. Saturday, the 14th of January, also at Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church with burial in the Garden of Memories Cemetery. Sanders Funeral Services is assisting the uh, family. Also, Raymond Hoffman Jr., age 95, of Waterloo, passed away on the 9th of January. Public visitation for Ray will be held from 3 to 6 p.m. on Friday, the 13th of January at Haggerty weichoff Garope Funeral Service, West Ridgeway location. It'll be at 3 p.m., Uh, Rosary service, Mass of Christian Burial, will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, the 14th of January. Queen of Peace Catholic Church with a one-hour visitation prior to Mass. And in other obituary news, Robert J. Junk, age 86, of Independence has passed away. A Mass of Christian Burial will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, the 14th of January at St. John's Catholic Church in Independence, uh, which is in Iowa. Burial will be held at Mount Olivet Catholic Cemetery in Waterloo. Visitation will be held from 4 p.m. until 8 p.m. on Thursday on the 13th of January. And uh, to leave an online condolence, please go to www. and I will spell this, R-E-I-F-F-A-M-I-L and then center.com under obituaries. June Markin, age 90, has passed from, at Cedar Falls and... Funeral arrangements will be on or services will be on the 14th of January, which is on Saturday at Locke on 4th Street in Waterloo. And visitation will be one hour prior to the service. Burial will take place at a later date at Garden of Memories Cemetery in Waterloo. Memorials may be directed to family. OK, what else? Let's see. We've also got um Beverly Luck, who has passed at the, at the age of 83 formerly of Plainfield, Iowa, passed away on uh, Monday, the uh, 9th of January, and visitation will be at the Good Shepherd Chapel in Bartels Lutheran Retirement Community in Waverley on Friday, on the 13th of January from 4 to 7 p.m. Memorial services will be at 2.30 p.m. on Saturday, January 14th at the chapel in Bartels with Pastor Jim Ackerson officiating. A private family burial of Beverly's uh, uh, Cremains rather, will take place in the Willow Lawn Cemetery in Plainfield at a future date. And finally, Leroy Scheffler, age 80, of La Porte City, has passed on the 10th of January. A public uh, funeral service will be held at 1 p.m. on Friday, the 13th of January, at Locke in La Porte City Funeral Home. A public visitation will be held from 12 p.m. until services on Friday at the funeral home. Burial will be in Westview Cemetery in Laporte City with full military honors, accorded by the La Porte City American Legion USS San Diego Post 207. And condolences may be shared at www.lockfuneralservices.com. Okay, let's go on to other news. Policemen, I should say, excuse me, I should say police, man assaulted Ottumwa Hospital patients before he died. In Ottumwa, a male nurse practitioner who died of a drug overdose at a private hospital in Iowa sexually assaulted at least nine female patients while they were sedated. Hospital and police officials said the assaults at the Ottumwa Regional Health Center were discovered during investigations into the death of a twenty-seven-year-old Devon Michael Carcherio of Centerville, who worked at the hospital, the Otoma Courier reports. An autopsy found that Carcherio had died of an accidental overdose at the hospital on the fifteenth of October, the police say. During separate investigations into his death, police said that the hospital found videos and photographs on Carcherio's personal cell phone that showed him sexually assaulting the patients in 2021 and 2022. Otomo police and a hospital spokeswoman said that in statements released on Tuesday, Otomo police Lieutenant Jason Bell said five of the nine victims have been identified and investigators were trying to identify the others. The assaults occurred while patients were sedated or unconscious. Police leave Carcerio acted alone. There are no words to describe how shocked and how horrified we are by Mr. Cacherio's actions," says Kara Klaus, the human resource director at the hospital. Our hearts go out to all of those affected by these heinous acts. Klaus said that the hospital has made several changes to its internal controls and security measures, and will work to ensure a safe environment for patients, providers, and employees. The action of one person are not reflective of the care and compassion of our staff. And we're committed to supporting and advancing the critical work they do on behalf of this community and patients every day, Klaus said. Former New Hampton man, age 60, dies in prison. In New Hampton, a former New Hampton man who is serving life for a 2005 sexual assault has died in prison. Rick Anthony Brandis was pronounced dead due to natural causes at approximately 8:10 a.m. on Sunday according to the Iowa Department of Corrections he was 60 years of age brandis had been serving a life sentence for first degree kidnapping starting his term in march of 2006 authorities said that Brandes and travis elv met a woman at a new hampton bar in may 2005 they held her at brands apartment for hours threatened her with a knife, and sexually assaulted her. During trial, Brands argued diminished capacity. Alv pleaded guilty in two four counts of sexual abuse as part of a plea agreement and was sentenced to 55 years in prison. Police are investigating an overnight shooting. A teen who suffered a gunshot wound late Tuesday is expected to survive, according to the police, the 18 year old male arrived at Mercy One Medical Center by private vehicle shortly after 10 p.m. Doctors found a single wound to his left torso, authorities said. The details weren't immediately available, and the victim's identity has not been released. Investigators photographed a vehicle in the hospital's emergency department parking lot, apparently the vehicle the victim arrived in. Officers are trying to determine where the shooting occurred. And several patrol cars were sent to a Peoria Street address as part of the investigation. Well, let's go back to Washington. Um, it's never dull down there, is it? We always have something going on in Washington. And now the GOP is opening a Biden probe. They think Twitter's suppressed post story about the president's son in Washington. House Republicans on Wednesday opened their long-promised investigation into President Joe Biden and his family, welding the power of their new majority to demand information from the Treasury Department and former Twitter executives as they laid the groundwork for public hearings. Now that Democrats no longer have one-party rule in Washington, oversight and accountability are coming. Representative James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, said in a statement. And the Republican led committee sent a series of letters requesting information from the Treasury Department about financial transactions by members of the Biden family that were flagged as suspicious activity. Those reports are routine with larger financial transactions automatically flagged to the government and are not evidence on their own of misconduct. Lawmakers also requested testimony from former Twitter executives who were involved in the company's handling of an October 2020 story from the New York Post about Hunter Biden, the president's younger son. Republicans say that the story was suppressed for political reasons. Moving quickly after taking control of the House, Republicans are setting up a messy, political explosive showdown with the White House that could delve deeply into the affairs of the president's family and shape the contours of the 2024 race for the White House. In their first week as governing majority, House Republicans have not taken any meaningful action to address inflation and lower Americans' costs, yet they're jumping out of the gate with political stunts Driven by the most extreme Make America Great Again members of their caucus in an effort to get attention on Fox News, Ian Sams, a White House spokesman, said in a statement referring to former President Donald Trump's campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. In a statement, Maryland Representative Jamie Raskin, the senior Democrat on Oversight, echoed the White House's sentiment, saying that the Democrats will work with Republicans when they get serious about tackling problems that affect the American people. The Treasury Department declined to comment. GOP investigations into the Biden family are nothing new. Republican lawmakers and their staff have been analyzing messages and financial transactions found on a laptop that belonged to Hunter Biden for the past year. Under Biden's taxes and foreign business work are already under federal investigation, with a grand jury in Delaware hearing testimony in recent months. Okay, let's take a look now at the Nation and World Digest column of the paper. New York able to enforce gun law during suit in Washington. New York, uh, New York can for now. Continue to enforce a sweeping new law that bans guns from sensitive places, including schools, playgrounds, and Times Square, the Supreme Court said on Wednesday, allowing the law to be enforced while a lawsuit over it plays out. The justices turned away an emergency request by New York gun owners challenging the law. The gun owners wanted the high court to lift a federal appeals court order that permitted the law to be in effect. The appeals court hasn't finished its review of the case, and justices are often reluctant to weigh in under, these, uh, under those circumstances. The justices still could consider the case and the law more generally in the future. New York Governor Kathy Hochel cheered the court's action. GOP takes actions against abortion. In Washington, House Republicans took early action on abortion with their new majority, approving two measures Wednesday that make clear that they want further restraints after the Supreme Court overruled the federal right to abortion last year. The new GOP-led House passed one resolution to condemn attacks on anti-abortion facilities, including pregnancy crisis centers and a separate bill that would impose penalties if a doctor refused to care for an infant born after an abortion attempt. Neither is expected to pass in the Democratic-led Senate, but Republicans said that they're making good on promises to address the issue along with other legislative priorities in the first days in power. You don't have freedom, true liberty, unless government protects your most fundamental right, your right to live, said New House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, who led debate on the measures. Okay, let's look at, uh, see, briefly news. Now, here in Yemen, weapons supplied by the United Kingdom and the U.S. and used by a Saudi-led coalition fighting in war-torn Yemen killed at least 87 civilians and wounded 136 others in just over a year, according to a new report by the Oxfam charity released on Wednesday. COVID-19. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on Wednesday extended the COVID-19 public health emergency through mid-April. Some health experts anticipate it could be the last renewal, maintaining measures that have expanded access to health care for millions of Americans since the outbreak began in 2020. In Brazil, Brasilia, Brazil's capital, prepare prepared, rather, I should say, excuse me, for the possibility of more violent demonstrations Wednesday by people seeking to overturn the presidential election with security officials blocking access to buildings trashed by rioters four days earlier. In Asia, Asia Ally, the United States and Japan plan to boost military and security cooperation as their top national security officials held talks on Wednesday. The two nations are revising their joint defense posture as they confront rising threats from North Korea and increasing aggressiveness from China. The discussions will be followed by a meeting on Friday between President Joe Biden and Japanese Prime Minister Kishida. In France, France attack. A person attacked several people, including a police officer and, a, and wounded six with a sharp metallic hook in Paris' Gar-de-Nord train station during morning rush hour Wednesday before being shot and wounded by the police. And finally, in news briefs, Afghanistan bombing, an explosion near the foreign ministry in Kabul, killed five people and wounded several others on Wednesday. A Taliban police uh, spokesman said, there was no immediate claim of responsibility for the attack in the Afghan capital. Let's see what else is going on uh, here in New York. Uh, Representative Santos rejects demands to resign. Members of state and local GOP call for him to step down over lies. In New York, state and local Republican leaders in New York on Wednesday called for the immediate resignation of their new GOP Congressman Congressman George Santos, who is facing multiple investigations by prosecutors over his personal and campaign finances and lies about his resume and family heritage. His lies were not mere fibs. He disgraced the House of Representatives. Joseph Cairo, Jr., chair of the Nassau County Republicans Committee, said in a news conference, He's not welcome here at Republican headquarters. Santos swarmed by reporters at the Capitol on Wednesday flatly rejected the call to resign, saying, I will not. The call was an extraordinary rebuke of the freshman congressman whose election months ago flipped a Democratic held House seat and was initially one of the GOP's highlights of the November election. Cairo and other Republicans said that Santos deceived voters in the local GOP in Long Island's Nassau County, and they were particularly incensed by his lies about having Jewish ancestry. The state Republican Party joined the call a few hours later with Chair Chuck Nick Langworthy, saying in a statement that it was clear that Santos cannot be an effective representative and it would be in the best interest of the taxpayers to have New leadership. In Los Angeles, northern California sees even more rain. Southern part of the state gets a a respite from relentless storms. In L.A., storm ravaged California scrambled to clean up and repair the widespread damage on Wednesday as the lashing rain eased in many areas, though thunderstorms led a new atmospheric river into the northern half of the state. The plume of moisture lurking off the coast stretched all the way over the Pacific to Hawaii, making it a true pineapple express, the National Weather Service said. The latest rains were expected to affect only northern California, giving the south a temporary break until more wet weather arrives by the weekend. At least 17 people have died in the storms battering the state. The figure is likely to rise, Governor Gavin Newsom said on tuesday during a visit to the scenic town of capitola on the santa cruz coast that was hard hit by high surf and flooding Greek, creek i should say excuse me creek waters last week more than half of california's 58 counties were declared disaster areas the governor said the previous storm that began monday was one in a series that began late last month and repairing the damage could cost more than a billion dollars Said Adam Smith, a disaster expert with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uh, of Los Angeles Times, reported thousands of people living near rain swollen creeks and rivers remained under evacuation orders. Well, it is Thursday, and there are lots of things to watch. On, uh, television. Let's take a look at some of those right now. What to watch for Thursday here on the 12th of January. Uh, The Climb. This is on HBO Max. This is a new series. Jason MoMA created his, this rock climbing competition series in which amateur clim- climbers are put through a rigorous series of mental and physical challenges using some of the most intimidating ascents in the world to crown the world's best amateur climber with a Prana-sponsored climbing amb- ambassadorship, and a $100,000 cash prize. The three episodes air today and next Thursday, with the final two settlements dropping on the 26th of January. And then we've got basketball, NBA basketball, TNT. That will begin at 6.30 p.m., and that's a live feed. The Boston Celtics are at Brooklyn's Barclays Center to face the Nets and TNT's first game. The second game has the Dallas Mavericks at Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles to take on the Lakers. CBS at 7 p.m. Young Sheldon Mandy pushes George Georgie, I should say, to date another woman in the new episode "Pancake Son- Pancake Sunday" and textbook flirting. Law and Order on NBC at 7 p.m. In Second Chance, when ex-con is found beaten to death, Osgrove, Jeffrey Donovan, and Shaw, Makad Brooks, arrest an unlikely culprit. What else do we have here? Ghosts on CBS at 7.30pm. peace strikes up a romance with car ghost Jessica returning guest star uh, Nicole, Nicole Sakura in the new episode, The Family Business. So Help Me Todd, CBS at 8pm. Margaret, Mounts a creative defense to clear her client of an attempted murder charge. In the new episode, side effects may include murder. Walker Independence, The CW, 8 p.m., new episodes. Abby finds her secret identity in jeopardy when a strange family member arrives in town. In the new episode, The Death of Mary Collins. Let's see what else we got here. Married to Real Estate on HGTV at 8 p.m. A couple's anxious to get out of their apartment and find a home near their daughter's school in in Atlanta's Dunwoody area. Entertaining space and a home office are essential, so Egypt Sherrod and Mike Jackson create the perfect, refined, modern farmhouse for their family. Law & Order Special Victims Unit on NBC at 8 p.m. God admit, I love this show. Benson tries to help the gang member who attacked her. Meanwhile, Durradi reveals a shocking piece of evidence. Okay, now, don't forget about cash excuse me, pardon me, catch a classic special theme, The Jewish Experience. It's all on Turner uh, Classic Movies, and they start at 7 p.m. And here are the movies that are going to be on, Bye Bye Braverman, The Angel Levine, and Annie Hall. And uh, Annie Hall, I love because that's got um, Diane Keaton, who is just just a national treasure as far as I'm concerned. All right. Okay, what's going on today in history? On January 12, 1959, Barry Gordy Jr. founded Motown Records, uh, originally uh, Tamla Records, in Detroit. On this date, in 1828, the U.S. and Mexico signed a treaty of limits defining the boundary between the two countries to be the same as the one established by an 1819 treaty between the U.S. and Spain. In 1910, at a White House dinner hosted by President William Howard Taft, Baroness Rosen, wife of the Russian ambassador, caused a stir by requesting and smoking a cigarette. It was apparently the first time a woman had smoked openly during a public function in the executive mansion. Some of the other women present who had brought their own uh, cigarettes also began lighting up in turn. In 1932... Hattie W. Caraway became the first woman elected to the U.S. Senate after initially being appointed to serve out the remaining or the remainder of the term of her late husband uh, Th- Thetis. In 1945, during World War II, Soviet forces began a major successful offensive against the Germans in Eastern Europe. Aircraft from U.S. Task Force 38 sank about 40 Japanese ships off Indonesia. And in 1948, the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, in Spiel versus Board of Regents, University of Oklahoma, unanimously ruled that the state law schools could not discriminate, discriminate, excuse me, against applicants on the basis of race. All right. Well, that just about does it here and now for the reading of the Courier on Thursday, January 12th. And I am your reader, Peter Welch and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk next week. Bye-bye.